Genevieve Gribble. Genevieve is an attorney with IntroVivos, and we met at a BNI group. That's right. And we even had an opportunity to work together on a special ed advocacy case. And when I first met you, Genevieve, you were talking about estate planning. Tell me how you got yes. into estate planning. So, Emily, I got into estate planning um, when I first, when I went to law school, that was not on my radar at all. I uh, had no interest in estate planning, but I always had the impression that estate planning was for people who are really old, you know, get to 65, <laughs> then worry about your estate planning. So right after I passed the bar, uh, one of my cousins, who was 29 at the time, died unexpectedly. and he left a widow and four little children, and he had no estate planning done. So things were in a were in a mess. And thank goodness she didn't pass away as well. That would have really been a catastrophe. But I was able to go to their little town and work with an attorney to get things in order. One of the biggest things was that he owned a business, and there were a lot of questions about what would happen to the business now that he was gone and without um, you know appropriate safeguards in place. For how that would pass. And so I became very passionate about estate planning and the fact that every person has some sort of estate planning uh, need. It may not be something big, but there is some document set probably that, that every individual needs to make things uh, just run more smoothly when something unexpected happens. You know, you're right. We, we think of it as someone has to be wealthy mm -hmm. or own a lot of stock or property. Yes. But this was just a, a young family. Yes, and it's interesting because you, you've hit the nail on the head. When I say, have you done your estate planning, people's impression is, you know, they own Pemberley, you know, the big iron gates of an estate. You know, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. Usually what we're talking about are, do you own a home? Do you have minor children? Um, there are other red flags, but those are two major ones that, you know, well, that's a many, one. many people own a home and many, many people have minor children. So, you know, those are, those are definite. Um, I don't want to, I said red flags, but those are definitely just things that would, that would alert us that there's an estate planning need that's beyond, um, you know, just a power of attorney or something like that. Yes, you know, even more important than who manages the income, the property is who's going to take care of the who's children. going to take take care of the children. That is definitely yes. yes. That that should be on every parent uh yes. parent's mind. What happens if I get in a car accident? What's going to happen to my kids? Yes. Who are they going to go to? Are they going to end up in foster care, or are they going to end up with the last person on earth? that I want to have them end up with, <laughs> because that often happens. Any interested party can petition the court for guardianship. Yes. And so you yes. might have you might have a sibling that you think, there is no way on earth I would ever trust that individual with my children, and they may end up getting their children. Yeah, I if think you I don't saw a movie do some with planning. that as a plot. <laughs> yes, that happens. <laughs> oh. Yes. And then we worked together on special ed advocacy. Yes. Now, how did you get involved so, with that? Now, this is an interesting thing. I, I actually have a brother with special needs, and I know I've mentioned that to you. So I grew up in a home um, where there were a lot of, you know, special education issues that often arose. And anyway, so that was, 
you know, but that was on the back burner by the time I, you know, passed the bar and got started in, in doing estate planning. But my twin sister has two children. They're both boys and they are both children with autism. And when her young, her oldest son was, uh, was five, he was going to be, uh, he was, so he attended kindergarten at the special kindergarten at the school district. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she wanted him to go to the neighborhood school and the school district said, no, he will be bused five miles away to this other school. And she was very concerned about that. So she came to me and said, Genevieve, you're an attorney. Get Taylor into the neighborhood school. And I was like, because that is not my area of expertise. That's not the kind of law that I do. But she was very insistent and I really wanted to help. So through a couple of mentors, I was able to uh, figure it out and we got things worked out with the school district so that uh, Taylor was able to go to the neighborhood school. Well, that was during the, the spring of kindergarten. So he was going, you know, in, he would be starting in first grade and a couple weeks before school started, we got a call from somebody from the school who had attended a two-day legal conference. And she said that because of this, you know, great knowledge that she now had, she knew that Taylor would not be able to receive, you know, certain, certain um, services. So this just threw us into a big, so you know, taking problem. back the mm-hmm. offer of letting you Yes, he would be call. going to the school, but he wouldn't be receiving certain services. So, I needed to write a letter to the school district. And this was a confrontational letter, something that I, in estate planning, I had, I don't do the confrontational law. So I was unprepared for this. Well, I spent a whole Friday writing this letter and I knew that it was what I needed to, to send. And it started out, my name is Genevieve Gribble. I'm an attorney. I represent and went on. And it was confrontational. And I had to be comfortable with that. I sent the email at about 4.30, and then I just completely lost it. I thought, everybody at the school district is going to know my name, and they're going to say Genevieve Gribble is not a nice person. She is confrontational. She sent this email. And I just, I really did. I freaked out. So if there were a way you could have retracted it, is that what you're saying? You were Well, <laughs> I wouldn't I would never have retracted it okay, because I okay. knew I needed to send okay. it. But I felt so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The next morning I woke up really early and I was going over it all over again. And then, you know, I had this impression come into my mind. And this is what it was. This is not about you. This is not about your ego. This is about Taylor. And if you do not speak for him, he will never be heard. Wow. And so at that point, I decided it was time to ante up. And so whenever I am representing an individual with special needs, in the back of my mind, I have this motivation. If I do not speak for this person, they won't be heard. If I don't, if I don't do good work for this person, they are going to, their needs are not going to be met. Yeah. And it motivates me incredibly to get things done, to find ways to to make things work. I love so, it. Yeah. yeah. And so over time, my two loves, my two passions for estate planning and special needs advocacy just started, they came together. Mm-hmm. And working here at Intervivos is just perfect because this law firm, all we do is estate planning. And we do every aspect of estate planning. 
in most law firms, estate planning is, you know, a little category. It's a little subsection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In this law firm, it is what we do. So we can specialize in the areas that we feel most passionate about. And as you can tell, mm -hmm. I feel very passionately about, about special needs. Yes. And so I get to do lots of special needs planning. It's just amazing. I love it. Yes. So. And, and I know in our neighborhood, we had, uh, just, just recently, uh, 50 year old woman with, who was intellectually disabled and had been cared for by her parents, by her mother. Yes. And her mother passed away. Wow. And fortunately, they had done this. They had done So it had been arranged okay. that a sister, she then went to live with. With her sister. With the sister. And it, there wasn't any, okay, what's going to happen yeah. to her? Because in the moment when the, when the tragedy strikes, that's not the time to go, hey, you know, we, what should we do? What do you think? Yeah. What can we put in place? Oh, yeah. That's not, that really is not the moment to do it. Yes. So. I agree. So, yeah. In fact, our firm's name, Intervivos, means while you're living. And so it really is just yes. this reminder, while you're living, get this work done. Get these things taken care of in that moment, you know, instead of waiting until it's too late in some uh -huh. cases. Yes. Very yeah. good. I like it. Yes. So I do special needs estate planning, and it is an area that is just fascinating. I love it. There are some very common, and today I want to talk about this, some common planning mistakes that parents make when they have a child with special needs. So one of the things that has had a lot of favor in the past was to just, hey, if we, so here's a, a common problem. Your your child with, with special needs may be receiving government benefits. They receive an inheritance and those government benefits are wiped out. They no longer qualify because their income is suddenly too high. Their assets, and, most and so they've don't passed. So, so what happens is a lot of times parents will disinherit their child. They say, "Oh, if my child getting a you know large sum of money means that they lose government benefits, then I just won't give them anything." So this is a problem that uh, you know we see in a lot of kind of the self-help planning. People just go, oh, we'll just disinherit them. But the thing is, is that that money could be very useful if it was planned for appropriately. Then it could it could raise the standard of living that the child, you know, is able to enjoy, rather than that substandard, which is what the standard that you have when you're just receiving government benefits. So we do not recommend that you disinherit your child. Another planning mistake is that they'll say, well. And this goes along with disinheriting the child. We will just give his portion to a sibling. Okay. So it's like, okay. So this, let's say that Joey and Jimmy are brothers. Jimmy has special needs. Joey is the older brother who has, has a very good relationship with Jimmy. They get along really well. So the parents say, we're going to give Jim, Joey this double portion and we'll leave it up to him to take care of Jimmy. And you know, in a perfect world, that could that could work. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that let's say that that Joey gets married and which is very likely and his his wife doesn't like Jimmy. That could happen. So 
she may say, hey, you know what? I'm not interested in this brother. And that relationship could change. And it could change to a point that, you know, Joey receives this money and there's no strings attached to it. If you just give it to, if it's just left to Joey, it's Joey's money. And he doesn't necessarily have any reason to use it for Jimmy or to use half of it for Jimmy. You also run into a problem where let's say that parents die, you know, a month later, Joey dies. So he has received, effectively, he was alive long enough to receive the inheritance, but then he dies. That it money goes to his heirs at law. It does not go to his mm-hmm. brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. And, and as estate planners, we want to make sure that we have crossed every T, dotted every I. We've provided the safety net so that we don't have these really unexpected outcomes that are damaging. So, and there's another problem, which is waiting too long to obtain guardianship. So sometimes, you know, when it, if you have a child who really does have, has some debilitating special needs, there is, it is wiser to get that guardianship once the child turns 18 rather than waiting for a number of years. And then, you know, maybe, maybe that child, you know, goes off on their own, even though they're, really not not very competent to do that and goes through a lot of bad experiences you want to make sure that you do it first so that you always kind of have a hand in and you don't have to a guardianship is not this person does not become your puppet it's just it enables parents to go on doing what they are going to do anyway for their child and so anyway with guardianship is a is a big thing let's go back to so if you don't disinherit and you don't you know but you don't want to lose the benefits what what can you do we have several there are several different tools so and and nowadays there are more tools in a parent's toolbox than previously we have third-party special needs trusts we have first-party special needs trusts which are newer and we have able accounts so let's say that you want to if you want to leave your your children, your child's special needs, a portion of of your estate, you can leave it to them in a third-party special needs trust. And this third-party trust means that the child with special needs doesn't have any ownership over any of the the assets within that trust. So they the money there cannot be counted as their assets for government benefits, for receiving government benefits. Now, it, let's say that you have your parents are very doting parents and they leave your child, they leave Jimmy a big load of cash and they just do it outright. So right away, Jimmy's like, wow, he's got all this money, but you've got to, you're going to put it away. That would be a first party. You would put it into a first party special needs trust. The first party means that that individual special needs has the right to draw on that account. So they can go into that that special needs trust and they can get money out because it was their money that was put in. Okay? So they have they maintain incidence of ownership over over that. Now, it does not disqualify them for government benefits, but the government has to be the residuary beneficiary on that trust account. Okay? So the, the government can do a state recovery after the individual special needs passes away. 
Okay, okay. On the third party special needs trust, that's not the case. So, because that, the mm -hmm. individual special needs has never owned anything that is in that third party trust. But they can benefit from the proceeds. Yes, they the are trust. the beneficiary. They are the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. But they have no rights over, mm -hmm, over the assets. So they do not lose the benefit. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now the ABLE account, this is a really great account. It, but it is an account. So you can't hold real property in it. You could hold real property in either of those trusts. Uh, and there are many reasons why you might want to do that. But you can't hold property, real property in, in an ABLE account. But you can. The limits are very high. You can have up to, it's close to $100,000 before it, it would start to, infringe on those government benefits. So, and now on those, way. the ABLE account, the government is, I'm going to say payable on death, but they're the beneficiary, they're the beneficiary uh -huh. after the individual special needs passes away. And okay. they will, they are able to reach in and do a state recovery after that individual has passed away. Okay. But during their lifetime, they have that without losing benefits. Yes. Good to know. Now, you were talking about guardianship. I recently talked to a mother who, whose daughter with disability is in a wheelchair okay. and able to live on her own and take care of herself, but has such a strong aversion to shots. She would not agree to get a shot if her life depended on it. Her mother just wanted guardianship to be able to say medical. Give her the shot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now explain how that would work. So you can have, there are various forms of uh, guardianship. The, the predisposition is, or rather courts favor limited guardianships because a guardianship removes the rights from the individual with special needs and gives those rights to their parents. So the guardian, or I said parents, but to the guardian. So any individual, right. you know, capable individual could be, could be, yes, can become a guardian. So the court would, uh, and the, the rights of the guardian are often comparable to being a parent of a minor child. So they are very overarching. Those, those rights can be limited. So you can have a guardianship that's limited to residential. You can have a guardianship that is just medical. Medical. Yeah. So I think that's what. Yes. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what your friend uh -huh. would. Yeah. Would prefer. Would love to do. Just so. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one. I don't like and, shots. <laughs> and, and I know too there are some individuals with special needs who really could not wisely handle a large yes. monetary gift. Well, and here is something that's kind of interesting. This. The statistics show that the average inheritance lasts seven months. So seven that, months. and that's not, that's not because an individual with special needs has it. That's just any, any, any inheritance. Any inheritance. And we think it's because, you know, most people, they're not, they, they get a large sum of money and they're not accustomed to having a large sum of money and they think this will never end. And then within, usually within, Seven, seven months. months. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> yes. So we do recommend that you put some, put a few strings on. I've heard that yeah. with winning the lottery too. Oh yes, <laughs> it's usually. <laughs> You'll be amazed at how fast, yes. how much money you can burn through yes. in a short amount of time. 
Exactly. All right. Well, those are good things for families to know. Okay. Thank you for bringing those You're up. You're welcome. All right. And we'll talk to you again. Okay. This is Emily.